Hello, welcome back to Girls Gone Healthy. We are joined today by a fabulous guest, Megan, who's a nutritionist, and I feel pretty called out by this episode. So I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm in this space where I'm like, oh yes, like I love working out, I love health, but I'm not pursuing weight loss, like it'd be nice to lose weight, but I'm not trying to focus too much on it, but also don't want to gain weight, like I'm trying to stay in shape, you know, like just this weird in-between of like, I want to be healthier without focusing on my weight, but obviously like it's in the back of my mind. And Megan has this great approach. She uses the health at every size I guess principles or guidelines, I don't know what you want to call it, but basically since her whole approach is not talking about weight, not talking about weight loss, she gives these great tips on how you can kind of put it on the back burner while you're actually focusing on these healthy habits. And then, you know, obviously you can bring it back into focus, but she has a lot of great techniques and tips and can help you out if you are in the same situation of trying to build healthier habits without focusing on the weight. So I hope that you guys enjoy. Hey guys, today we are joined by Megan. She's a nutrition therapist and owner of Simple Nutrition. She believes that all bodies are good bodies and that from cake to kale, all foods are good foods. After helping hundreds of clients recover from diet culture, Megan knows that when women think less about food and body and more about really matters to them, they begin to thrive in all areas of their life. Thank you for joining us today, Megan. Thank you for having me, Emily. It's so good to be here. Yeah. So before we kind of dive into the conversation, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the type of work that you do in the health space and what your philosophy is surrounding nutrition. Yes. Uh, I am a non-diet dietitian, uh, which means that I use um, uh, health at every size informed practice and use intuitive eating principles to guide my philosophy. So like you said in the bio, so simply said, that means from, from cake to kale, I believe that all foods are good foods and that I don't believe your health can be determined by your shape or size to your body. Um, that there's a lot of other factors that we should be looking at other than weight to determine somebody's health. Yeah, that's awesome. That's kind of how I started my whole approach to health too, because mine was so weight focused. And I realized that, you know, even if I was trying to get there, it was usually in the most unhealthy ways. (laughs) And when I kind of took the focus off of that is when you can start focusing on what your body wants and a healthier lifestyle. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of extrinsic motivators, like a lot of external information out there about how we should be eating and what we should be eating and when we should be eating it. But uh, when we can kind of connect with some of our body's own internal wisdom about food, um, we can actually trust that as a guide to help us make sure that we're eating enough and enough different types of foods. Some gentle nutrition information can be helpful, but for for the most part, a lot of a lot of what we know um, can actually come from from within us. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your personal health journey, kind of how you became this nutritional therapist. I know that you went back to school, so I was wondering if you could tell us about that. I did. This is a second career for me. So I used to work as a pharmaceutical sales rep um, right out of college. That was what I wanted to do. And at the time, making money actually was the most important thing to me. (laughs) It seemed like a job where you could do that. And I had a biology degree and some of that fit. And so I eventually got into that industry and 
I spent most of my time talking to doctors about type two diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And after about six years of working in the pharmaceutical sales world uh, for a big pharma company, uh, I had decided that I wanted to be a, like a more integral part of people's health uh, beyond what I felt limited in what I was doing. And so I decided to go back to school. And so I quit my job uh, with the support of my husband, really privileged situation there. You know, I didn't have to give up health insurance or anything like that. We didn't have kids at the time. And I went back to school full time to pursue my master's in nutrition and my dietetic certification and thought that I was going to help people with diabetes, uh, some of these areas that I was familiar with. And uh, really, it found myself in a place of eventually helping folks with eating disorders. And it was through that, that my nutrition philosophy for all people that I serve, because while well, many of my clients have eating disorders, it's not the only type of client that I serve. And I, I was, it really kind of shaped my nutrition philosophy for the way I serve all people. And that's when I found intuitive eating and health at every size approaches. Yeah. Is that something that you now practice in your daily life or it's something that you've kind of always done? Yes. Uh, it is absolutely something that I practice in my daily life. Intuitive eating is something that I, be I became introduced to as an intern. And I really started to become aware of some of my own limiting beliefs around food. Uh, you know, just more of like a little bit more of a clean eating mindset that I think can really be exhausting to have to try to follow to a T. And so intuitive eating became very freeing, I think, for me to be able to uh, not be as scared of some certain types of foods. Uh, and so I think that that made an impact on my well-being. And I think I found myself in a place of being able to eat more in a way that served my body better, like more energy. Um, and, and certainly more enjoyment, that's for sure. Less concern about like being hyper concerned about what I was putting in my body. Yeah, no, I think that's so important too, because I think a lot of times we go into a healthier lifestyle, wanting that energy, wanting to feel better, but the methods that we're doing aren't actually helping us get there. <laughs> it's usually the opposite. So, you know, I like that with intuitive eating too, you are, whatever you're practicing is like what you're feeling in your body. You know, so it's kind of a direct correlation of, okay, it's not that I want to feel better. And then I'm just feeling super unenergized. You're actually listening to your body cues. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think through that, um, with some practice, you know, in our culture, there are so many of these external cues that sometimes it can be really difficult to, to really tune into hunter cues, or if we've been ignoring or suppressing them for so long, they can kind of change. And so sometimes it can take some guidance to help get back. To, to restoring those more fully. But for once, once you're there, I feel like that is so helpful. It takes a lot of the overthinking out of eating. Yeah. And that's kind of the point of it, right? Because isn't that the end goal is trying to make it simple, make it something that you're not always worried about? Absolutely. Yeah. So I know that one of the things that you kind of talk about is that weight loss efforts, they usually don't work. And then they cause these high performing women to then start to feel like failures. Could you go into that a little bit more? Absolutely, Emily. It never, it, it always amazes me that um, from college students to middle-aged women, um, people will come and sit on my couch and they are performing really well in school. They are caretakers, whether that be to their own children or to somebody else in their life. They are working um, and they are just, they are doing so many things and they'll sit down on my couch and they'll tell me, well, uh, the reason why I've not been successful is because I'm lazy, you know, or 
I want to cook more, but I can't because I, I just don't because I'm, I'm lazy. Um, and, or, you know, I want to eat different kinds of foods, but you know, I'm just too set in my ways. I don't have willpower. And it blows my mind because these folks are, have stories of resilience. They're hardworking. Um, they are doing all kinds of things in their lives. They're very, very amazing, amazing women. And, and I'm like, you were anything but lazy. That's just a story that you're being told because of this one area of your life um, where you don't feel like you can follow it, these external cues I've been talking about, right? This, this kind of, uh, th some of the, the rules that were served up through diet culture about what it looks like to eat well. And because of that, like you're, you're believing this, this lie that it's you and it's not you. It's, it's the kind of the system of the, the food rules. So uh, it's normally one of the conversations I have very early on with my clients is that like, you are not lazy. You do not lack self-control. You do not lack willpower. And I can see that all over in your life. Yeah. That's awesome too, because it's more taking that blame away from, okay, like everyone else is somehow doing it. Why can't I do it to it's the system that's not working, not you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we have um, data that shows that, uh, you know, most people, most voluntary attempts of weight loss, uh, about over 90, about 94% of those attempts of weight loss usually result in weight regain in two to five years. So even if somebody's looking to the left or to the right of them and says that person's doing it and that person's doing it, they, they most likely won't be doing it, if you will. I'm using air quotes here. Um, they most likely won't be doing it in the next two to five years because most of these practices are not sustainable for the long term. No, I definitely agree with that. You know, all of the really popular ones too nowadays seem to also be the most extreme. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay, it works now, but is this sustainable? And another thing too, with you keep bringing up like this food freedom, what does that look like? Like what's their end goal with that? <laughs> a lot of my clients come to me and they're like, I just want to eat normally. I see people who just eat something and it just doesn't seem to be a big deal to them, which is of course loaded with assumption, right? But what, what my clients are looking for is this idea of, of stop having to play exhausting mental gymnastics about evaluating everything they've eaten and trying to figure out how it fits uh, throughout the day or throughout with their exercise or their movement or anything like that. And so food freedom usually looks like somebody who's able to eat a, a variety of foods uh, that suit them, that they enjoy in a way um, that that is serving them well, meaning providing them energy, uh, enjoyment, um, that they are able to honor most of the time as they choose. They feel like they can honor their hunger and fullness cues. They don't have that sense of feeling out of control around food on a consistent basis. And uh, in movement, you know, we haven't talked about movement, but I always incorporate either that, that you're moving your body in a way that feels good to you, you know, in a way that that is helping you with things like energy and sleep and you actually enjoy it. And so when you put those things together, uh, it, you, food is taking up some of your mental space because in some ways you have to plan and, and procure food in order to be able to have it available to you, but it's not taking up a big chunk of your mental capacity, right? And a lot of times when we have a lot of these 
uh, rules to follow as it relates to food. We're like, gosh, I'm having to think about food all the time and not in a positive way, not in like, gosh, I brought a really yummy lunch today and I'm looking forward to it. It's more so like, you know, when do I get to eat next? Or when I get to this eating occasion, being stressed about how that fits within your eating plan. Yeah. So it's, you know, by doing a little bit of work with themselves or with you to learn about nutrition and all of that, then you're actually thinking about it less, which people always (laughs) think is kind of like contradicting each other. But it's not because, you know, you're putting your energy into things that will actually help you instead of, okay, just when can I eat? What can I eat? All the things that will just spin your circle. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And so you had mentioned that these people come into your office and usually at the beginning they have this mindset of, oh, I'm lazy, so it's not working. You know, I just can't keep up with this. And so how do you go from, okay, you talk to them about how it's not them, it's more of the system, but then what are things that they could start doing in their life to feel like they have more control? Absolutely. So one of the things that I help my client identify early on is uh, you know, where are there, are there long stretches? Are there long stretches where you're going without food? And I usually consider that to be, uh, I'm looking for times where they're going more than five hours without having had either a meal or a snack and trying to help them identify what are you experiencing throughout the day with hunger and fullness. So if they're going more than five hours, I'm asking them to notice in between sessions, how hungry are you by the time you sit down to the next meal or snack because it works like momentum. The more and more and more hungry we get, so like the more and more and more we move towards really hungry, like when you when your stomach really hurts or you've got a headache or you are hangry, <laughs> you're cranky and irritable. Um, the more and more you move to that space, the more and more when you sit down to eat, you're going to have momentum that moves you towards fullness, and the more likely you're going to leave that eating experience feeling overly full, more disconnected to the food that you're eating because you're, you're more so feeling like you just need to get it in your body. Anybody who has uh, come in the door, you know, after work just or school and just kind of feeling like ravenous and they know dinner's coming soon, but you're, you know, grabbing for crackers or handfuls of candy or whatever it is that's available in order to try to get food into your body is, would be aware of that experience. And then dinner comes and that you're not even hungry. So by, by helping my clients notice where they're going these longer stretches, where they're eating, where they're waiting until they're further down on the hunger scale, uh, and eating more past the point of fullness helps me identify spaces where we can adjust some things as far as timing of meals to try some things out and experiment to see if they can get a more relaxed way of eating. Yeah, so it's more taking... You know, they might be following a certain schedule because they think that's what they've been told or that's what works best. And it's like, okay, no, let's start listening to how your body responds to it. And yeah, taking that more relaxed approach, which that's awesome. Yeah. And likewise, you mentioned schedule. So I often think about, you know, getting you know, pretty rigid with timing of food throughout the day. And a lot of, a lot of times too, my clients are eating when they're not hungry, you know, because they've been told they need X number of meals per day. Uh, And so sometimes, you know, we're noticing, I'm like, well, are you hungry for that snack? And they're like, no, I'm not. They're like, I actually don't know that I ever experience hunger in my body. And sometimes that can be because the hunger cues aren't there or they're disconnected to them. But sometimes it can also mean that they've just been following an eating plan 
that provides some sort of food somewhere in there that their body's actually not really all that ready for. And it's not that they feel overly full, but they just kind of just never ever get to experience that feeling of hunger, which, uh, you know, just a, a gentle emptiness in the stomach and being ready to eat makes food so much more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because it is, you know, an experience too of emotionally, like, you know, you don't want to be forcing yourself with the food, but at the same time, you know, if you aren't listening to your hunger cues or you don't feel the hunger cues, it does kind of feel for. So kind of just making that mind body connection there. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you had mentioned the statistic about how like 94% of weight loss efforts result in weight gain a few years down the road. So Mm -hmm. when people come to you, are you trying to move them away from that weight loss goal? Or are you trying to just make it more sustainable in that smaller 5%? Usually I'm trying to help them understand that when weight loss is the primary goal, because my clients, you know, the fact of the matter is, is we live in a world where thinness is valued and is the beauty standard. And so uh, if somebody doesn't feel like their body meets that beauty standard, uh, the idea of accepting what they have is a really, feels like a really big reach. And so what I ask them to do is just put, you know, the concept of weight loss in the back burner a little bit, because as long as weight loss is the most primary goal for a person, uh, you're always looking at these external cues uh, in order to drive your decisions when it comes to food. Uh, when and it, it can make it difficult to tap into this more intuitive eating concept. And so what I asked them to do is instead, like, let's look at some other things that matter to you as far as well-being goes. And let's talk about the way you want to feel. Let's talk about the way you want to sleep. Let's talk about the way you want to be around food, uh, the way you feel about food. And let's talk about some of those measures that we can look at as well. And, and really, a lot of times when a client kind of sets weight loss aside for the moment, even if it's just in our session to try to connect to what else matters matters to them, they are able to come with that. They're like, well, I want to have more energy and I want to be able to enjoy my food more. And I, and over and over again, Emily, it's a, it's, it's, I don't want to think about food all the time. I don't want to have to think about food all the time. Like it's exhausting. And I want it, I want eating to be more simple and more easy. And so we start to use some of those as measures of what are we doing? Cause this is what this process should do. Right. And so we're, we start to move to a place of where they start being able to experience some of those things. And then it be, can, can become easier when somebody feels better, they still may love the idea of being able to lose weight, but may be able to recognize that intentional weight loss pursuits have always led them to a place of thinking about food all the time, eventually being tired, feeling like a failure because they aren't able to stay on their diet, not sometimes not sleeping well. Uh, so it's able to help bring somebody to a space where while, while weight loss may still matter to them, they realize that it can't inform all of their decisions around food and for them to be able to have this experience of well-being that they have. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense for me because just relating it back to how I kind of approached it, I was feeling really bad, you know, just energy level wise, um, motivation wise. And I kept thinking that weight was at the center of that of, okay, if I lose the weight, then those things will come. But it's almost the opposite where if you focus on living healthier and relaxed about food, making it simpler, then Mm -hmm you know, the weight didn't even become an issue anymore because I thought that was what 
was my big issue in the way and it just wasn't. And so I can kind of see, you know, where other people can do that same thing. You know, you're gaining confidence with what you're doing and you know that what you're doing is right for your body. So then you don't care as much about those external factors. Yes. And you, you really nailed it, Emily. And you're, I've listened to your story on your podcast and it's such a great example. And you were in an environment as an athlete where you were, you had this information shared with you, but it's, it's in messages all around us. I mean, you can flip on the news in the morning or a commercial or the images we see, but the, the message that we get is that weight loss should be the center. And then once we do, once we get to that goal weight, then X, Y, and Z will be, will be healthier, happier, so on and so forth. But the reality of it is, is that a lot of times it can be unachievable, unsustainable, um, and it can, it can make you unhappy. And then that brings us back to that feeling of like, why can't I get this right? Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, everything around me is telling me whether it's a a coach, a doctor, or um, the the media, you know, is telling me that if I do this, then everything will be better. Yeah. And then that kind of leads me into the other area of work that you do. So you are a health at every size coach. Um, could you say, talk about what that sort of means and what that looks like? Yes. Health at every size is a movement. It started, I believe it's back in the 60s. And it's been around for, for a long time. And there's been some more research in the recent past by Dr. Linda Baker and Lucy Affermore, who's also a dietitian. And a non-diet mentality, or we call it a weight-inclusive approach to health, it is one of the pillars. Um, there's a, a intuitive eating type pillar, um, a social justice aspect, because it's, it's addressing with individuals as well that our society is not very kind to people in larger bodies. Uh, and really, it's not very kind to people in, in bodies of <laughs> different colors, um, of different uh, gender expressions, sexual orientation, so on and so forth. So the, the social justice aspect of, of naming that in a space for an individual that may or may not be in a larger body, because it really impacts all of us that are, those of us that are in smaller bodies as well, is a, a fear of weight gain is, is very pervasive in our society. And also the way in and part of what contributes to that is the way we treat folks in, in larger bodies. Um, and, and so health at every size is, is a framework that, that informs my practice because I believe that it's important to address all, all of those areas when serving my clients in any body shape or size, because we are all affected by it. Yeah. So it's, you know, getting over that fear of weight gain is the worst thing you could do for your health. It's like, okay, no, it's actually just like the worst thing that media wants you to believe and that is accepted as normal where that's not an indicator for your health. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, when something that you're hitting on is also important, somebody may feel like, well, I don't, I'm not actually pursuing weight loss. Like I'm not doing a diet or anything like that. But a lot of times the fear of weight gain can still force us to, you know, rely more on external cues, like wondering, like, should I, like, I really would like a little bit more food and feel like I have room for it, but I'm scared to do that because I feel like I need to be careful, you know, of my body changing and health at every size says, that you can be healthy in a smaller body or in a larger body, that health is achievable regardless of shape or size, and that there's other measures to health other than weight. Weight trends can be helpful for us for diagnosing different things, but 
but our society is built around saying that a large body is unhealthy and a smaller body is healthy. And, the, and because of that, we're actually finding in healthcare, we call it BMI profiling, the, the body mass index. We call it BMI profiling. And there are many folks out there who do not have healthy behavior and quote unquote normal weight bodies. Then we, then, and there's many folks out there that are at higher weights that are being told that they're unhealthy who are actually very healthy. So we're missing, it's unfortunate too, because we're missing folks that could benefit from discussions about taking care of themselves that are in smaller bodies. But we're like, oh, you know, as, as healthcare providers in general, we're saying, oh, they're fine because they're smaller. Because that again is being prized as the most achievable aspect of health. Yeah, that's a great reminder too, because I like what you mentioned too, that, you know, we think of health at every size and it could be, you know, you think it's targeted to people that maybe don't look like you, but even people in a smaller body, people in what they think is their ideal body now have that fear of, oh, what could happen to it? You know, I don't want to stray off this path, you know, of even if it's, they think it's working for them, it might not be. Absolutely. Fear of weight gain can be just as harmful to our health is pursuit of weight loss. Oh, that's a great little nugget of information to leave us with. <laughs> Thank you so much. I just wanted to give you a minute here to talk about where people can find you, work with you. Absolutely. When a lot of people hear about this nutrition philosophy, they often ask me like, Megan, where can I get more information? And so once a month, I send out a list of carefully curated resources that are body positive and intuitive eating oriented. It's called our Fork the Food Rules newsletter. And so once a month, this comes out and it's got links to Instagram accounts to follow, podcast episodes to listen to articles, uh, books that we would recommend. I love to cook. So I always throw in a couple of recipes of things that are uh, household favorites in my home and as well as any body positive products. And somebody can sign up for that by going to our website. I know you'll probably link it in the show notes, but that's simple nutrition counts. Com, and they can scroll to the bottom and sign up for the Fork the Food Rolls uh, monthly list there. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Nutrition is Simple. And we do a less than or normally five minutes or less video once a week that's talking about these topics that we talked about here on the podcast. And folks are finding those really helpful. Awesome. Yeah. And those are all free resources. So once again, I'll be linking them below. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor and take a screenshot right now and post it on your Instagram story. You can tag me at Girls Gone Healthy Podcast at Girls Gone Healthy Podcast. Come say hi. Come say what's up. I'd love to connect with you and this would help support me to continue bringing you free content. See you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>